the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well-designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 11 of Puck and Roll, the number 17 most popular hockey podcast in Sweden. And that's a fact, Jack. We are number 17 in Sweden, number one in your hearts. I know that. Welcome to this amazing show. On the panel today, Scott Cowan, Joshua Rosa, Sebastian High. Tons to talk about, and let's do it directly with this week's version of the Habs Blitz. Finally, a little more to talk about this week, which is great news because now my uncle can get off my case for only being on the show for about two minutes last week. <laughs> Bing News announced out of the Habs front office as Jake Evans signed a three-year contract extension. The sentiment is on the last year of his current deal, making $750,000, and his cap hit will be counting for $1.7 million as of next year. If Evans can settle in the rule the club expects him to take, this can be a steal of a deal for the Canadians. Another roster moves. The Canadians also claim goaltender Samuel Montembeau from the Florida Panthers. The Bacon Cool native and 2015 third round pick by the Panthers spent all last season with the Syracuse Crunch of the AHL. Played limited games in 2018 and 1920, totaling a 983 record, 320 GAA, and 892 save percentage. 24 year old is still viewed as a possible future NHL backup and might actually get a chance to prove himself sooner rather than later, as Carey Price's status for the beginning of the season is still uncertain. Price has not been practicing as of late due to a non-COVID-related illness, all while also recovering from off-season surgery from what is now known to be a torn meniscus. And we're all suckers for feel-good stories. So while the nation is riding hard on the case of Ryan Paling's status with the team, defenseman Arber Zekash quietly wrote another chapter in what is slowly becoming a Rocky-esque story. The Hamilton, Ontario native, by way of the Czech Republic, was an invite to both the rookie camp and the main camp, and his play convinced Marc Bergevin to sign into a three-year, two-way contract. The six-foot-four, 225-pounder played a steady and poised play during camp, good enough to receive the contract offer. What makes the signature more impressive is the fact that Zekac Ze- will be sent back to the Kitchener Rangers of the OHL, a team that our very own Joshua Rosa is starting to know very well. 
and also a team the former made after being undrafted there as well. Zaycatch was ignored by everyone in the 2018 OHL draft, but still made the Rangers squad as a camp invite. Now now that he's got a contract with the Canadians, we can't help but to root for him and hope someday see him in the NHL. Time to recap a little bit of what's going on in said training camp. Joining us once again, Scott Cowan, Joshua Rosa, Sebastian. I welcome to the show, gentlemen. And before we start, Josh, Sebastian, thank you very, very much for covering episode 10 last week. You guys did a fantastic job. Um, I couldn't be happier to be covered by such gracious hosts. And of course, Scott. You know, you you get you get some kudos as well for sending him that like that cool little segment as well. So, guys, thank you so much. I mean, like obviously, yes, I did need a break. <laughs> it was it was much needed. Thank you so much. And uh, how about Sebastian? We start with you. Um, what's going on in training camp right now that is really catching your eye? I mean, maybe you want to talk about Ryan Paling. Do you want to talk about Samuel Motombo being claimed? I mean, you know what, sir, the floor is yours. I think I'll leave the, the, the Montembeau story to Scott, considering uh, I think it's it's a bit more his territory and that he wants to really talk about that. Um, I'm just going to jump back into what you ended the Habs Blitz on, and and that was the signing of uh, Arbor Jackai, I believe is the pronunciation. Jackai. Okay, well, I, yeah. I apologize for the mispronunciation. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're not alone. I, it's It's quite the name. I just know it because of soccer stuff, and there's a soccer player who plays for Arsenal called Xhaka. So I'm I'm just I'm just used to like the okay, X-H, so maybe, but yeah, it's fine. <laughs> maybe um, one of our but, Swedish friends can help us as well. No. I'm sure I'm sure they can. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I I think it was an interesting signature because also this is a player who is entering his his final season in the OHL and playing with the Kitchener Rangers. So Josh might be actually going to be able to watch him play a little bit this season, which will be fun. But this is. This is a guy who's obviously very big, very physical, and he had a very strong camp. Um, I I thought he was one of the better looking defensemen in terms of just like how steady he was and like how calming of a presence he was on the ice, which is pretty surprising considering this is a uh, 20 year old defenseman who has never been drafted in any league. Like he, he wasn't even drafted in the, into the OHL. He, he got onto the Kitchener Rangers via tryout as well. So this is just a guy who has become a master of getting a job based off of a tryout. And it's a fun story. And yeah, I think I think he's just like a stereotypical guy who might just find his way to the, to the NHL playing a bottom pairing role by just being reliable, hardworking. And he has his like outstanding trait of his physicality, right? Like, Usually with those like bottom pairing specialists, they, they need that one thing that makes them stand out a little bit from the pack. And for uh, Jacka, it is his physicality. So it's a pretty fun storyline just to just to look at. And yeah, so I'll, I'll throw it to Scott and I'm sure you're going to be talking about the, the goaltending situation. 
Yeah, uh, well, I've written about this uh, actually in the past week. I wrote an article about this, but yeah, the Habs have claimed Goldsmith Samuel Montembeau waivers, as uh, Patrick had discussed. And I think it's an interesting move, in all honesty. I mean, it is one that will throw, definitely throw a wrench into the low, the low Rockets crease, and it'll definitely crease some issues on the line, in my opinion. But for Montreal, for the time being, I think Montembeau is a perfectly reliable backup option should Carey Price not be healthy enough to start. I think one of the funniest things about Montembeau is that he hasn't really been, had a fantastic season in either the NHL or the AHL, but he still managed to hold his own at the NHL level regardless. It was actually the Panthers' backup slash third goalie for two seasons in 2018-19 and 2019-20. The main thing to take into consideration regarding Montembeau is that he was a very talented goalie in the QMJHL league, which known for its scoring. As we had talked about a few episodes ago, with guys like Alexi Gravel and their inflated numbers. Montembeau's numbers were fantastic, honestly, uh, for a QMJHL goalie. And in Montreal, he should get a chance to get the occasional spot start here and there. But for the most part, I think he'll just ride the bench as Jake Allen will try and ride the Canadians into the promised land until Carey Price is healthy enough to return. Now, the, the issue that comes into play is obviously, should uh, Price come back, where does Montembeau fit into Laval? And I definitely think it'll be a bit of a difficult situation to, for the Canadians to navigate. Obviously, they're trying to develop Caden Primo right now instead of forcing him into a backup role, as he had shown last season, he isn't quite ready for that. But with Montembeau going to Laval, it'll definitely make it so that Michael McNiven might be in the ECHL once again, which is just a real shame considering how, far, how, how hard he's fought to earn that starting job in Laval. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how things progress on both sides of the situation. But I'll just throw it back to Patrick. Yeah, I actually have a question about Montembeau, and this is open, open for interpretation for anyone on the panel. So we claimed in a lot of waivers on the possibility that Carey Price might be missing the first couple of games of the season. So you get yourself a reliable backup. Now, uh, if we have to set him down to the NHL, well, he might have to clear waivers again. If I'm wrong, someone correct me. And now you're and now you're with the the situation in Laval where you got to pick between Primo or McNiven to back him up because Montembeau is not going to go down to the AHL as a backup to begin with. But now Primo needs needs games, but McNiven needs games. So does that mean McNiven automatically goes down to the ECHL, or they're actually going to be sending Primo down to the ECHL? in order to get as many starts as possible, because um, as far as everything is concerned, Kevin Poulet, who is the odd man out, unless, you know, that bad goal that he gave uh, the uh, against Toronto was, was any indication, he's going to be the backup of the ECHL team. I mean, I don't know. I, I think as much as I like the prospect of Samuel Montembeau, I think it creates a very big logjam in between the pipes. It does. I talked about previously like how the Rockets about Crease was already a free battle, but regardless, Michael McNiven is going to the ECHL if Samuel Motombo gets sent down to Laval. And that's a massive shame, but it's just a reality of the situation. There is no realm in this universe in which the Montreal Canadiens will put Kaden Primo in the ECHL. They still see him as a potential NHL option down the line, and they still see him as being their, a future starting goal, potentially. Is he going to be that? I'm not entirely sure about that, as I, don't, as I think the Habs are trying desperately to not have another Charlie Lindgren, where they had this guy who they thought was going to be this big star, and then within two seasons and see was their backup. But I think McNiven's time in Montreal should Montembeau get sent down to Laval is rapidly coming to an end, and it's a real shame. He's fought his, he's fought tooth and nail to get a starting job in Laval, and he's got it time and time again. He's proven he can play, and then he still can't get a break. Well, speaking of breaks, I'm going to throw, the, throw it up back to uh, Joshua Rosa, who's been silently lurking in the corner here on this podcast. Josh, I'm going to give you the big question in what was probably the most polarizing topic of training camp by the name of Ryan Paling. Now, a lot of people were saying this is the year that he has to make it. Uh, he, he have, you know, everyone is on his case right now. He does one bad shift and it's the end of the world. Trade him for a dozen bucks. 
He does one good play. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, give us your take, first of all, on what you think of Ryan Paling's performance at training camp. And does he actually have a legitimate shot on cracking the opening night roster? Well, I don't think that Paling has really had that good of a training camp, but hasn't stuck out in any poor way either, which is kind of a no bad no man's land to be in if you're trying to, if you're fighting for a roster spot obviously it's better than being straight out bad but you're fighting for a spot with a lot of guys Cedric Paquette unfortunately is out day to day from what I've heard with a lower body injury so that opens up a spot but he's just he's not taking the chance unfortunately in a strong enough way in my opinion he's I still think he can work out as a fourth line guy in the NHL. Maybe not this year, but probably next year. He's a big guy, six foot two, 185 pounds. So he can play physical. He can play smart. He can win when you face off. He's what you want from a fourth line center. He's just not the first round pick that scored a hat trick in his first NHL game like he did that people got their hopes up for him unfortunately and he's just going to have growing pains he's still such a young guy he's just not I don't think he's ever going to score as much as you want him to I don't think he's ever going to put up points but as a solid reliable guy that can keep the puck out of your net he can be that guy I don't think he's ready for it this year. I think another year in the AHL might probably be best for him, and then he could get his confidence up and come back next year better than ever if they have a spot for him. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I've said this earlier about Montembeau, but I'm going to ask the same question about Paling. Isn't he susceptible to go on waivers if we send him down to the AHL? Does anybody have No. Him? No, huh? so it's no, okay, not. so it's the Rockies. He's not. Okay. So, so th- this is the last year of... Um being able to be sent down without waivers so as of next season he will need it Mm. meaning that also it makes it easier to like rationalize sending him down to the ahl for a full season because it's the last time he's going to have the shot of having a full season there without likely being lost to waivers yeah absolutely and well sebastian while you're here let me ask you a question Um, this is normally a question, you know, for the prospect hero segment, but now since we're going to be talking about other things and we're talking about the main camp, there is a prospect that has stood out in the name of Riley Kidney. Well, okay. So this, this was a draft pick that I've never said that I was a big fan of. I've been, I've been pretty clear on that. This was a guy that I would have maybe taken at the end of the fourth round rather than at the end of the second, but his start to the QMJHL season has been phenomenal really like he he scored two goals and added an assist in his first game with the I could see Bathurst uh, Titans and he played a really good game right like, like this is a player who I think it, it's, it's he's a very weird player in that he had a high ceiling I just I'm really skeptical on his chance of hitting it because um, I'm just going to repeat myself from a couple episodes ago but this is a guy who has a lot of skill but he just stays on the perimeter of in the offensive zone, right? He just, he, he never forces him way down the middle. And if you don't make your way to the center of the ice, you're not going to put up, like you're not going to create real opportunities, right? Like it's kind of just how it works, especially if you start, when you start playing pro hockey. So like kidney didn't really stand out hugely in rookie camp, 
but he didn't look out of place either. And considering that he was just drafted and he's, eight, and he's 18, that's fine. But it's going to be an interesting season for him, especially considering that a player that was like significantly younger than him and who was drafted three rounds after him in Joshua Hua stood out tremendously, right? And these are both centermen who played in the queue that the Habs drafted this year. And yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting. And uh, I mean, Kidney does have a shot to really break out this season. And I hope nothing more than for him to prove me wrong. But uh, yeah, solid start, but still not a player I would have picked in the second round. Yeah, I think me, uh, you, you and me, Sebastian, we've definitely talked at ends about Riley Kidney before. And we've talked about how we're sort of divisive on him as a pick and as a player. I think he has definite potential, but I think also Riley Kidney at this moment, in spite of playing really well in the, in the, in the uh, Kim DHL, well, uh, we'll continue to point to the fact that there's so much more to a prospect than just the way he plays on the ice. And I don't think that contributed a lot to why Kidney was selected in the second round and why Joshua was selected in the fifth round. Exactly. That, well, as we all know, Joshua had the reputation as a floater. He had a reputation as a guy who didn't have a great work ethic. He was taken first overall. But all of that stuff immediately just sent his value down quite a bit. Kidney was beneficial enough to have put up solid numbers and not have anything that really detracted from his game into the limelight as a potentially promising player. And especially Kidney did very well in the playoffs and GMs love nothing more than a player who steps up in big games. But at the same time, you're putting a lot of weight on like, I think he played seven or nine games in the playoffs. That's putting a very, like a lot, a lot of weight on a very small sample size there. So it's a very interesting uh, player and I really hope he plays well. Me too. Same thing. Exactly. <laughs> and the same can be said about Jake Evans, another guy who, you know, had a small sample side, was amazing in the playoffs and, you know, exactly. And gave us a lot as well. And Josh, you're a huge fan of what he's been uh, putting up in the, in the preseason so far. So like that contract that I mentioned earlier is very well deserved. Yeah, I think so. Totally. If he can keep this up, he is a seventh round pick um, from a few years ago that you, he's, up until now, he's kind of been this prototypical seventh round pick where he's not that high skilled guy, but he's going to grind your way, his way into your heart with his defensive play and everything. And Say that again. He, grind your way into your heart. Into your heart. Wow. Yeah. He I ground his way into my heart. <laughs> I want a t shirt that says that. <laughs> He definitely ground his way into Joe Bouchard's heart. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One thing to do. <laughs> but this, this camp, he's shown a really offensive side of his game that I don't think really come out at the NHL level yet. He, like, he made that amazing pass to, I think, it was Harvey Pinard in the one preseason game. That was just mind-blowing. And he's been keeping it up all preseason. I don't know if it's the full season of being in the NHL that's brought his confidence up or the playoffs or the fact that this is the preseason. But if he could keep playing like this and put up more points than you would expect from a third line defensive guy, then that $1.7 million a year is going to be a huge steal for Montreal. Totally. I agree with that. I mean, I think the main thing, the point with Evans quickly is that he's always been a player who I found is that he's unassuming for the most part. And then every once in a while, he'll make a play and go, where the heck has this guy been? What is this guy's potential? How can this guy play like this? And it's the same issue that has had of Matthew Pekka. Now, what I'm hoping will happen is that they obviously don't trade him away for scraps like they did with Pekka. But I still think Evans has a lot less, have a lot more to show us regarding his NHL ability. And the preseason has been really good for that so far. 
Yeah, and I think an interesting thing with preseason is that you see players get power play time that don't usually get power play time. And um, like the, the the two full games that have happened in the last week for the Habs were very different, <laughs> um, <clears throat> both against Ottawa, but one was a 7-2 loss that was like brutal to watch. And the other was a win, which was a lot more fun. But um, in the first of those two games, the, the, the loss, Jake Evans got power play time and he looked good on the power play. Like, like in both of those games, the second power play unit, which again, were very different in both games because we had a very different lineup in both games, but the second unit played very well in both games. And it's, it's really nice to see because it also means that uh, Alex Burroughs is really getting through to the players on how to set up a unit and how to move the puck around, even when they're not like the superstar players. And it's just nice to see power plays of fringe NHL players or bottom of the lineup NHL players moving the puck around brilliantly. And Jake Evans was doing that in the first game. In the second game, um, like, like Brennan Gallagher scored a power play goal, uh, like the first goal of the game. But the entire power play sequence going up to that was just the second unit dominating. So I believe it consisted of, um, I'm not sure if it was Weidman, maybe may been Weidman. Uh, or Romanov, but then along with Lekkonen, uh, Paling, and um, Bezil, and I believe um, Yolonen was the was the, the unit, and they were great. Like like they were moving around. It was like a minute and thirty seconds of just quick passes, big opportunity. Yolonen missed like a wide open net because of just how great the passing was. It's just nice to see that the static power play that Habs fans have gotten used to in the past decade is not going to be the norm this season. And um, as much as the team will miss Shea Weber at even strength, I think his departure for the power play means that a lot of new creativity can come up in actually seeing how the power play works because it's not always setting up the cannon from the point. It's a lot more about getting passes through the slot. But two little thoughts in the house fans heads right there. Opposite circles, Tyler Toffoli, Mike Hoffman. That's all I'm going to say. And Cole Caulfield. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be beautiful when everyone is healthy. And one last thing before we move. We, got, we have to move on, guys. RHB, our boy, is still sticking around right now. And he's been playing regular minutes on the third line. I don't know about you, Guy. Hot take. I think he's starting the year in the NHL. That was my hot take. You stole my hot take. <laughs> I, I literally wrote it, it's that. It's a lukewarm take. Okay, it's a lukewarm take. It's a very lukewarm <laughs> take. But, okay, okay. I, I made my version of the take hot because I said that he wouldn't play a single game in the AHL this season, which is very hot because I don't actually think it's happening. But like, we love RHP. He's, we he's, love RHP. It's <laughs> so fun to watch. Like he, okay, him and Jake Evans have phenomenal chemistry. Like. Like we've seen this through a preseason and rookie camp, like the, the, the two, it's not just the fact that they're both extremely hard workers, like just in terms of like playmaking of one passing to the other, like, uh, like Arby Pinal had a great pass to send Jake Evans in on a like half breakaway. It was almost a goal, but it was a, it was a beautiful little saucer pass on, a, uh, on the rush. Like the, the two have a really great connection. Sebastian, you're going to have a lot more to, uh, to say because we're going to be switching seats for the next segment. You get to host because I have been attending the last um, 
game of the uh, well, not the last game, the second to last game on Friday of the um, Blaville Boisbriand Armada against the Olympique de Gatineau. So, how about we head over to Prospect Heroes right now? The Prospect Heroes Scott and Sebastian on Puck and Roll. Patrick, uh, I'm back in the host seat, uh, just as I was last week. So this is a fun return to form in that in that way. So, okay, I I know that you have a lot to say about this game because you were there, and also things that maybe weren't actually on the ice, but off ice things that happened at the game that you might want to comment on. But my first question to you is on a player th- of the home team, so of Blainville that I've had my eye on for a couple of years, and that would be Miguel Tourigny, who picked up a primary assist in that game. Do you did, did anything in his play really stand out, or was it more of an empty assist? No, I don't think it was It was an empty assist at all. Like uh, The entire game, Tourigny was literally, it was really looking good quarterbacking, not just a power play, but the but the forward rush as well. This is a guy who is not afraid to go in danger zones, for lack of a better term. Uh, th- like the the puck handling was there, the speed was there, and I think I think one of the one of the things that I really appreciated out of Turini's game is not only is he fearless, but he skates with his head up, which is something weird. You know, that it's it's strange just to say something like that, especially when you get to this level. But I saw a lot of players skate with their head down, doing a lot of revenge body checks, so to speak, which is something I absolutely despise in hockey. But, you know, whatever. Call me old fashioned that way. You know, like I love like like intelligent hits and everything, not just mindless hitting. But in his case, he was he was playing physical. He was playing a good game. And yeah, that assist was definitely, definitely warranted. Okay, now that I can check that off my board, we can move on to what are your general thoughts on the game? Like who stood out really positively? Who stood out maybe negatively that you were expecting to play very well? Tell me about the experience as a whole. Well, the 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 overall experience, first of all, it was my first time at uh, that arena at the uh, and, uh, you know, I had actually had a blast as well, you know, doing live tweets, social media. And it was I, I thought I thought that was like, you know, kind of a cool edge as well. But for the game itself, what stood me out, there, was, there, were, there were a couple of players that stood me out on both teams. The first off, uh, one of them was kind of a surprise, actually, and that is the captain of Blainville, uh, Simon Laving, defenseman Simon Laving. He's not an amazing defenseman by all means. I mean, he's really tall. You know, he's got the size, 6'3", 190 pounds or so. And uh, but what stood me out the most is just is just his passion and his and his the heart that he has on the back end. Imagine Brendan Gallagher as a defenseman, you know, and and that's something as a whole. Like the the fact like what 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 was really cool is that I he would you would see him shout very often. He dictates plays. He says, you go there, you go there across the ice. He's telling his goal. He's always communicating with his goaltender, which is a huge, huge plus for any defenseman, by the way, um, is, the, is the communication with his goaltender. But I mean, he didn't really have a lot of power play minutes, if at all. He's mostly a defensive first minded player. And I don't even I don't even I, I didn't have any timer with me or anything. But I mean, I don't think. 
he's the one who actually had the most minutes out of all the defensemen, but his play was so smart every single time. It was just flawless and reminded me a lot of, you know, if you want to look at an NHL, a NHL level, but the same style as a Joel Edmondson, almost, you know, not really flashy, always at the right spot. will hit when he has to dictates, dictates the play really well. I mean, on that, and it was really good. The other player uh, that stood out as well, and um, I think, as as a matter of fact, he got he got called up uh, by his uh, NHL team, as a matter of fact, because he's no longer on the uh, the roster, and maybe something happened in the last twenty four hours that I didn't uh, pick up. Uh, was for Gatineau uh, goaltender Rémi Poirier, who is actually a product of the Dallas Stars. Uh, reason why he stood out was this guy is so poised it's ridiculous i mean yes he was on the losing end of things but i mean like that second goal that he gave it was kind of awkward because it was at the beginning of the period there was a lot of water on the ice and you know they'd be like the players are practically waterboarding for crying out loud but and then when the puck came in but the the this is a this is a goaltender who looking at him move around his lateral movements were so smooth he was always at the right place Uh, you know, you know, like when when you see a goaltender taking in a lot of shots, like he doesn't tend to move because because he's always at the right place. Now the on the uh, on the flip side, uh, and I know Sebastian, you might be a little disappointed by everything that Charles Edouard Gravel, who was the goaltender for Blaville, was the complete opposite. He was rarely in the right spot, so he, he looked all his saves looked spectacular. But that's because he was a little an, an inch too much to the left, two inches too much to the right. And his lateral movements were extremely sluggish. But back to Poirier, uh, this is a guy that I know. Okay, I know this is the juniors. We can't get too far ahead of ourselves. But an early look at this kid, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is someone who could at, at the very least have an AHL career because this he is very poised, and I'm expecting good things from him for sure. And Poirier is still on the, the Gatineau roster, like on, on their oh. official website, he's still listed there. So maybe it was like a day-to-day injury or something in between. Right. Yeah. And okay. So I, I'm curious. So you told me a story about what was going on, not on the ice, but off the ice, because <laughs> you weren't sitting in the regular stands. Now, were you? I was not. No. <laughs> okay. Actually, there, there, there are two stories here. Tell us about what it was like being in the lodges. Oh, right. There was the Uber Eats story as well. <laughs> exactly. That was the second one I was thinking of. <laughs> okay. So the, um, okay. So full disclosure, I mean, it was the home opener, first of all. And of course, home opener is always very, very popular. Uh, a lot of media demands and everything. And also, I mean, it was so big that we were actually bumped from the Uh, Gatineau uh, home opener on Saturday uh, but uh, but that's a situation where it's a brand new arena big party and everything but we were invited to come back next Saturday so we might have some goodies for you then now yes I was put into a lodge I was instead of being into the uh, the press uh, box I was put in the recruiter box now which was you know, a couple of boxes beside now what was interesting about the recruiter box was the people that were sitting there and the people sitting, sitting on the box next, next to me. Now, next to me was um, all the players from Blainville who were not playing that night, including um, Marcus Succi. Uh, Marcus Succi. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was about to say Souci en français. Marcus Succi was, was sitting there as well. 
And my evening started off rather interestingly when I saw him and a couple of other players sitting down as well. And, you know, they're kids. They're 17, 18, 19 years old and everything. They're hanging out. And the next thing you know, one of them takes like takes other phones and he's looking at Uber Eats. And I'm sitting literally right beside them. And I'm on Twitter because I'm doing live tweets, right? So then, so then I'm seeing them and they're ordering uh, poke, <laughs> which, you know, full disclosure, my wife is a huge fan of. And when I told her the story, she was like, oh, those boys sure know how to eat well. <laughs> and the next thing you know, Suchi looks over at me, seeing that I'm on Twitter. He's like, hey, 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 you're not tweeting that, are you? And I'm like, what? Like tweeting what? He's like, oh, you're seeing us ordering Uber Eats. You know, you're not going to start tweeting that, you know, the boys are eating, you know, some junk food or whatever and everything. And I just started laughing. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's okay. You know, your secret, your, your secret is safe with me. But who says I'm a member of the media? And he's like, no, no, we saw you live tweet, buddy. We saw you live tweet. So it was a pretty funny experience. <laughs> so was there a secret safe with you, Patrick? Oh my God! Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> only only a few, only a handful of people, plus the the hundreds and hundreds of puck and roll fans. Now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the other story as well. I mean, okay, I'm not going to divulge the name because I promise I wouldn't. However, uh, I'm sitting, um, I'm sitting down. I'm watch, you know, I'm watching the the warm up and everything. And then uh, at one point, I'm re- I'm actually I'm reading an article about uh about the expos because you know for those who don't know i'm a huge baseball fan and of course I'm, i've been following very closely the whole story about the tampa bay rays possibly coming back to or splitting their season with montreal yada 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 and then someone goes uh yeah it's interesting yeah, that story in, in french of course so i turn around and i'm like yeah yeah okay I'm like not really recognizing the guy because he's wearing full face mask and everything right and um and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I think I think they're gonna come back and da 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 da. da. So next thing you know, we're talking for like 10, 15 minutes about baseball. And then like I still don't know who the heck this guy is. And I'm just thinking, okay, he might be a, another recruiter, another member of the media, or whatever, you know. And then at one point he he says something, but he kind of mumbles. I'm like, what? And he's like, Oh, this damn mask. And he takes off his mask, and I was kind of shocked. And I was like, Oh, hi. And he goes, oh, hi. I get, oh, great. Let me guess. You didn't recognize me before. Now you're starstruck. I'm like, whoa, buddy, you weren't that big of a star. You were very good. But you're that. And so he starts laughing. The only thing I can say, I promise, because he said, please, come on, just keep this on the DL because, uh, you know, I'm just passing by, da-da-da. He is an NHL scout. He is a former player, NHL player. He does speak French, so I, I, I'm going to have to leave it at that just in case and everything. But it was a very, very interesting conversation. I was like, wow, I'm sitting beside a former NHLer who is now a scout, and we're talking about baseball at a Q game. Yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I mean, it was a very eventful first hockey game for you after how many like months or years? Oh, Christ. Uh, the... Yeah, it's been it has been a while since I uh, since I've seen a live hockey game over myself. I mean, well, the last time I saw one was actually at the beginning of the past season against um, against uh, no, sorry, the, the the season prior against St. Louis. As a matter of fact, at the beginning at the beginning of the year, and uh, that was actually that one 
big game that Jonathan Drouin had like four points or something like that. And he spoke to the crowd and the crowd went bananas and gave him a giant ovation. And oh, then, the, oh the, the wonderful uh, ovation one. Yeah. That, the ovation that one. Gorgeous. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. I was the last time I saw a live, a live hockey game. So especially after the year I just got as well, you know, on a personal note, it's, it felt so good to be at a live event, like, even if it was like, you know, junior major, which by the way is very good caliber hockey. So, Pat, this was a very eventful first game back, as we just established. Mm-hmm. But are we going to go to more games over the course of the season as a panel? Well, do you guys want to? I mean, I wouldn't be against it. How about, <laughs> how about everyone else? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely invited to more games. Well, first of all, we, we're officially going to the, um, the uh, Olympic Get Nose game next Saturday. Uh, against, I believe it's Valdor. Yeah, the Forat de Valdor. Uh, Blainville is pretty much an open invitation as well. I know Scott is itching to go whenever he's available as well. Uh, I'm probably attempts at some game, some more games as well. Josh as well has been uh, sent me an interesting message to the, the this morning, being like, uh, "So when am I going back to Kitchener, buddy? Uh, you know, um, see, yeah." And especially since uh, we got uh, Jacki. <laughs> Zakai, <laughs> going back to Kitchener. Yeah, we're we're definitely going to be covering more, and this is something that I, I'm abs- I'm I'm so happy to be doing this on so many levels because not only does it give, well, it gives us a little bit of exposure. I mean, obviously, but also it makes us uh, understand the game a little more. We get to see prospects directly. We could talk about on on on, on you know on this segment as well. And you guys have been absolutely outstanding when it comes to coverage and also just the general knowledge of things. So yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely going to, going to keep, keep, keep doing this. Um, and also um, I'm feeling a little guilty because we have to move on to another segment. Uh, but Scott, I hope you don't mind me just filling in your chair for the prospect hero segment this time around. Honestly, Patrick, I've been kind of out of the loop for the past week or so with the guys at the Olympics anyway. So I think it's best <laughs> I leave it to those who have been involved for the past week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about we send it to another pro? We call him the professor, the historian, Mr. Joshua Rosa. He's ready for his segment of On This Day in Habs History. On This Day in Habs History. On this day, October 4th, the year of our Lord, 1958, Maurice the Rocket Richard scored two goals, while Henri the Pocket Rocket Richard scored one goal and two assists as the Montreal Canadiens won 6-3 against the NHL All-Stars. That's right, the Stanley Cup champions used to play a selection of All-Stars from the rest of the league, and Montreal won. Of the 21 All-Star games played in this style, seven were won by the Cup champions, and two were from the Canadiens. On October 4th, 2019, Cam Atkinson scored the only goal the Blue Jackets would score against the Toronto Maple Leafs as they lose 4-1. However, this was the sixth straight season opener that Atkinson had scored. Only two other players have been able to do that, one being Mud Brunato, who also ended the world's longest NHL game as a rookie in 1936 at 2.25 a.m. in the sixth overtime, scoring on goalie Lauren Chabot of the Montreal Maroons. 
From 1940 to 1946, he scored in the opening games. And the only other player is Canadian Yvonne Cornoyer, who scored from 1973 to 1979 on each season opener. On October 5th, the year of our Lord, 2001, the Montreal Canadiens signed Leafs legend, the killer, Doug Gilmore. So for name for his apparent resemblance to Charles Manson, the killer. He was eventually traded back to Toronto in 2003 for a sixth round pick, where Gilmore would just play one more game before tearing his ACL and retiring from play. On October 5th, a couple of Montreal Canadiens were born. Goalie Lorne Chabot was born in 1900. The Alaskan on Nate Thompson was born in 1984. And the Montreal veteran of 30 games in 2017-18, Logan Shaw, was born in 1992. But there must have been some hockey gods magic in the air on the day of October 5th, 1965. Two of the greatest NHL players of all time were not only born on the exact same day, in the exact same year, but in the exact same city, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. One would stay in his hometown to become a star and Stanley Cup winner before an unceremonious exit that we won't talk about right now. And one would move to the greener pastures of the Seal City to become one of the most electric offensive forces to hit the ice. I am, of course, talking about the two and only Patrick Waugh and Mario Lemieux. Oh my. <laughs> you know what's funny, Josh? Um, well, first of all, thank you for the uh, Lemieux little quip. That was obviously very satisfying. But the uh, I never understood the Charles Manson, Doug Gilmore uh, uh, reference because they don't look anything alike, man. I mean, the only thing killer about Doug Gilmore was the mullet he used to sport in the 90s. <laughs> you know? And also being, of course, famous for smashing the glass on the penalty box you know, one one evening. <laughs> After Jordan sold mullets, Barry, Mel- Barry Melrose still has his. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. <laughs> Just like John Merrill and uh, Michael Pizzetta. The flow, baby. We're going to call him the flow from now on. Pizzetta's hair is tremendous. It's absolutely amazing. But, I mean, the greatest mullet of all time still has to go with the man whose helmet actually resembled the, the hair itself, it was Jeremy Yager. Yes, I mean, that, that it was, was the, the greatest mullet of all time. <laughs> There's no comparison to any other hockey player ever. Although, shout out to my dad as well, who had a great mullet in the 90s as well, but <laughs> I'm sure he'll never admit that. <laughs> at this time another segment of around the nhl with our good friend anthony demarco how's it going buddy not too bad man how about you how was the game last friday it was absolutely spectacular it was a cool experience uh looking at it for such a different angle but uh you know what you're gonna have to uh, go back and listen to the rest of the show dude because i already talked about that stuff (laughs) Uh, 
I, I, you see, that's that's the bad part about being the last one to the party. You all you miss all the important stuff. Exactly. But you know what? Um, on uh, good news, though, is that we actually have a lot to talk about today, even though we, we only go put our focus most on one, maybe two topics uh, compared to last week. So, and obviously, it's been around the Twitter a lot because uh, he has become a new Twitter star. And of course, I'm talking about Robin Leonard uh serious accusations man um i mean the fact that he's calling out alain vigneault the flyers organization nolan patrick's name has been dropped for those who are not in the loop anthony maybe can you give us a recap of exactly what this story is about so essentially robin laner came out late saturday night and made not so subtle allegations that there was some malpractice going on within the flyers organization kind of pointed in the general direction of Alain Vigneault and hinted that maybe there was some usage of some medication that wasn't prescribed to the athletes. And for the love of, for the love of me, I cannot pronounce the name. So maybe Pat, you can help me out with the names of the medications. Um, 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 I don't know. Carry on. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I've I've been, I'm, I think I've been led to understand that they're to help you sleep and sedatives. Yeah. yeah. But um or sedatives. I don't know how to pronounce any medical terms, but uh, sedatives. sedatives. There you go. <laughs> now you know why I didn't do well in the medical part of school. But I heard that, yeah. <laughs> but uh more on a serious note. So Laner has often had a lot of negative things to say about Alain Vigneault. He did so last year criticizing the way Vigneault handled Carter Hart in Hart's, um, I guess it was his third year last year, calling him out uh, publicly, kind of benching him at times and whatnot. And then um, a young college student who actually follows me by the name of Drew Wheeler came out with a report that he cited a source saying that the Flyers medical staff gave Nolan Patrick non-prescribed medication to treat his traumatic head injury. And since then, this kid, Drew Wheeler, who does follow me and by all accounts is a nice guy and whatnot, has walked back those comments, has acknowledged that they were inaccurate and premature. And Laner has since walked back these comments during an interview with Emily Kaplan on ESPN.com, saying that he was not um, accusing Alain Vigneault of directly handing out you know, pills like a mob boss or whatnot. (laughs) So I think it comes down to Robin Lehner is a guy who is outspoken in terms of players' rights, and I commend him for that. And I think that in a lot of ways, you need more of these types of players who who speak up for players' rights. And obviously, the NHL does have kind of a dark history in this regard. We know the Steve Montador story all the former enforcers who suffered CTE and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I do respect what Laner is trying to do. And he himself struggles with mental illness. He has publicly said that he is bipolar, but I think that in this particular case, maybe he got a bit ahead of himself, made some serious accusations that he walked back and um, it's kind of cooled down now. Alain Vigneault has flat out denied these allegations, but uh, I mean, it is a sticky situation that looked worse 48 hours ago, but still now, even though the clouds are beginning to clear, still a bit shady, if you ask me. Yeah, it's a little weird, um, to say to say the very least. Um, I mean, now, now there are more people that actually um, 
are coming out as well, defending Elie Vigneault. I don't know if you've heard about this, but Maxime Lapierre also came out and said while he was um, playing under Vigneault for both in Vancouver and as well in St. John, uh, New Brunswick, he never saw anything of a sort. He never saw Vigneault being a, you know, coming out as a monster, like you said, and being like, yeah, take these pills, buddy. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like it never, it never happened. He was saying like, dude, you had like a sprained ankle. You had to go to the doctor and get a prescription. It wasn't an open pharmacy. Um, now that the, now at the same time, the NHL has openly said that they invited Robin Leonard to be part of, of course, you know, now an open investigation into this whole allegation. Chuck Fletcher as well came out and saying, yeah, that all this is BS. But I mean, we haven't heard from Nolan Patrick yet to begin with, and you've had some inside, uh, some inside news recently about Nolan Patrick. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we actually had you as a guest saying that, you know, okay, there were some issues between Patrick and the organization, but it's the fact that Leonard kind of just comes out of left field defending him is kind of strange in, in, my, in a way because they don't know each other and Leonard have, has never played for Vigno. So, I mean, is it just hearsay at this point or do you actually believe that, Hey, there might be actually more than meets the eye. Well, look, my first thought was, well, Nolan Patrick had an unceremonious divorce from the Philadelphia Flyers. He's now with the Vegas Golden Knights. Laner obviously has an issue with Alain Vigneault, and I just put two and two together. Now, this kid, Drew Wheeler, directly said Nolan Patrick's name, and he's the only one that has mentioned Nolan Patrick's name directly in this particular instance. Yeah. And even Lehner responded to this kid and said, BS, this isn't the case. If I had to speculate, and I have no inside knowledge on this, I didn't even want to text my sources because it's not something I want to get involved with, I would say that Nolan Patrick has had some very bad things to say about the Philadelphia Flyers, including Alain Vigneault, and Leonard kind of took that and ran with it. Now, is that true? Who knows? I could tell you that there is a lot more to what happened with Nolan Patrick than we were led to believe in the public sphere. Um, you know, we were said that he had a migraine issue. Patrick himself has, has since said it was concussions. I can tell you that Nolan Patrick's issues with the Philadelphia Flyers go all the way back to when Chuck Fletcher traded Dale Weiss back in the winter of 2019 back to the Montreal Canadiens. Weiss and Nolan Patrick were very good friends, and that did not sit well with Patrick. Patrick did not want to be with the Philadelphia Flyers last year. He was holding out hope that they would have traded him to the Winnipeg Jets last uh, offseason in hopes in a deal with Patrick Laine. And ultimately, they got his wish, uh, or he got his wish, and the Flyers didn't move on from him. And now he's in a place with some familiarity with Kelly McCrimmon. So, I mean, Leonard never mentioned Patrick's name specifically. Patrick's name, I think, only came up with me because I was just connecting the dots. But then you have this kid, Drew Wheeler, who has since admitted that it was inaccurate. So maybe this guy, Drew Wheeler, thought the same of me, took it as an opportunity to say he had a source when he actually didn't, and then was hoping that it would ultimately come to be true. Who knows, right? I think typically there, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't think Leonard was making this up out of thin air. But I could also tell you that Leonard was on the Spit and Chicklets podcast last week, and he said that he had an interview with the team in 2019 and the coach was, for lack of a better term, a piece of you-know-what, and while the GM was awesome. I can tell you that the Flyers were exploring goaltending options that, that summer to back up Carter Hart. 
So was it the Philadelphia Flyers? Was that experience with Alain Vigneault? He said the coach is still coaching in this league. So, I mean, I think it's a combination of things. It's probably somewhere in the middle of this whole entire mess. But, I mean, Blenner has walked back his comments. The kid, Drew Wheeler, has walked back his comments, even though they weren't really legitimate in the first place. So I think at the end of the day, uh, I do believe it kind of comes down to Nolan Patrick in some way. But again, am I right? Who knows? It's all speculation. Exactly. And and I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play doctor for two seconds. I actually took a you know a little time to, to look this up. The medication we were talking about at the, at the, at the beginning. The first one is called Ambien, also which is a generic uh, name for Zolpidem. Uh, which in uh, it's used to treat uh, uh, sleep disorders, uh, mostly insomnia in adults, which, you know, could be something that most athletes in North America could be attributed to because of like, you know, the, the, the constant time zone changes and everything. The other one, the one that a lot of people have trouble pronouncing called benzodiazepine. There you go. There you what go. He said. I think <laughs> sometimes called benzos. I like that one instead. <laughs> you know, you know what the actual name is? What is it? Familiar names include Valium and Xanax. Wow. (laughs) See? See? So, you know, it's already, it makes this whole story even more ambiguous and more weird to to begin with. So I guess it's going to be a to-be-continued part of the segment. (laughs) Anthony, let's move on to to the West Coast, to the West Side. Let's go to Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver Canucks have recently announced the signing of Elias Pedersen. A three-year deal worth $7.35 million a year. And Quinn Hughes has signed as well for six years at a whopping $7.85 million a year. Now, you already know my thoughts about signing uh, young players at such crazy contracts. But you know what? I just have to get over that. But I'm curious to know, what do you think about those deals? Well, I'll start with the Hughes one because it was very long-term. Um I've never been a huge fan of Quinn Hughes. I thought he's been a touch overrated during his time in the NHL. And last year, without Chris Tanev, he was flat out bad for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, he was flat out bad and did not have a good season by any stretch. But again, I acknowledge and recognize the talent that he has. And there's not a lot of defensemen, especially at the age of 21, that can do what Quinn Hughes does on a nightly basis. Yeah, because so, he's your prototypical offensive defenseman. He's a he's the modern day Paul Coffey, so to speak, right? He'll he'll literally just take the offense in his own hands and just run with it. But defensively, he's such a liability, though. That's the yeah, only exactly. thing. And, and you saw that with Chris Tanev leave, and yep. you see that a lot with young defensemen. Like I witnessed it firsthand with the Flyers last year. Ivan Provorov was one of the best defensemen in the NHL in 2019-20. Matt Niskanen retires, and it becomes a tire fire. I think having a veteran defenseman with a young star in the making is just invaluable. I think it's just absolutely uh, quintessential to have. And I think you've seen that even in other instances. Like, look at all of the young defensemen that Boston brought along with Zidane Chara at their side. He did it with Charlie McAvoy. He did it with Brandon Carlo. Now you see him going on to the island. You assume he's going to do it with Noah Dobson. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So, I mean, look, they're taking a bit of a risk here with Quinn Hughes, but you get him at six years, so there is cost certainty. It's going to take him right. Pardon me? I said there's at least that, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a bit rich, $7.85 million for Quinn Hughes. 
And I look again, obviously, I know this firsthand, Ivan Provorov, who got six years at $6.75 million. So I think that's a steal. But then when you look at what defensemen were getting this summer, like Darnell Nurse got north of nine, Dougie Hamilton got nine million. I just think that that's kind of the going rate now for these types of number one defensemen. And look, they have two defensemen now tied up in on contracts, making it north of $7 million for the foreseeable future. Oliver Ekman Larson being the other one. Yeah. And I kind of worry like who's going to be the long-term partner for uh, Quinn Hughes on that blue line. Like unless you're playing Ekman Larson on his offside, the guy that, jumps out to me right away is Tyler Myers, but is Tyler Myers like the steadying partner you want for a young Quinn Hughes? Is it Travis Hamanick? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, it's obviously good from the part that you get caught certainty, but you are paying him just shy of $8 million and he's already 21 years old. Now you get to Elias Pedersen and this is where it gets pretty sticky, right? Because Elias Pedersen to me, yes, he had an injury riddled season last year, he wasn't as good as you would have thought. I thought going into last year, he was a top 10 center in the NHL, not so much following last year. Yeah. But you lock him in at $7.35 million. If I'm not mistaken, his qualifying offer in the summer of 2024 is going to be $8.8 million. Something like that, yeah. And he's going to be a year away from UFA. And when players get that close to UFA, especially at that age, are they really going to want to lock in long-term? And that's no. the thing that I'm a mm-hmm. bit scared with here, that you're going to get a qualifying offer. Patterson's only going to want to get one year. And it also depends where the Canucks are at at that time. But are you just going to walk Elias Patterson right to UFA here? And I know that it, the, the flip side of that was, well, if you want to get him at six, seven, eight years, you're going to be paying him $9 million. But and you want to save in salary cap space in the short term and the Canucks are just always right up against the salary cap. Probably one of the reasons why people were up in arms trying to figure out why the hell they acquired Oliver Ekman Larson or re-signed Tanner Pearson or all these guys. But at the same time, I can understand it. But then if that's what your end goal is, you better be going in all in right now. And do the Canucks scream like a cup contender to me? Nope. No, I think they're a good team. <laughs> I think that they're better than what they showed last year, but I don't think that they're going to win a cup. Maybe they'll go deep because the Pacific division is so weak, but I mean that I think there's risk in both deals, but for opposite reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the thing with Pedersen though, is that you're looking at a guy who averages a point a game, you know, or, or very close to as well. And I guess there's also that kind of like, okay, you no, it's actually, it's not it. I think, I think you absolutely nailed it, Anthony, when you were saying that, you know, you're looking long term with the cap, you know, with the salary cap, and also the, you know, the the, the, the contracts that are locked in and everything. Because if you're looking at stats in three years, he's this is only his fourth year in the NHL, by the way. He's only Which 22 years old. It's absolutely ridiculous. And you know, he's got. You know, I'm I'm looking at hockey DB right now. 66 points in 71 games in his rookie season. 66 points, 68 games. And then last year, even though he got he was injured, he still managed 21 points in 26 games. So 153 points in 165 career games is absolutely ridiculous. Is it worth seven and a half million dollars a year? In this case, yeah. You know, in today's modern NHL, it's what it's worth. But like you said, you know, um, this is someone who, if 
uh, if we were to to offer him a long term contract, this is eight and a half nine million dollars a year, and again, there's that risk as well. If he continues on that same stability, maybe you can convince him, you know, being like, all right, here, take nine million, we'll give an extra year or whatever. Or he might explode even even further, and then next thing you know, he's he's being paid you know ten million dollars a year or whatnot, right? So yeah, so just to wrap things up again, uh, I mean I can't deny anything you just said, Anthony. I mean like you got two cornerstone players and you know Hughes and, and Pedersen who are essentially the present and the future of the Vancouver Canucks, and a comparable could be, you know, to a lesser extent, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki in Montreal. You know, if Caul- if Caulfield explodes and becomes the player he's supposed to be, yeah, that's going to be expensive. And then there's also Nick Suzuki you need to resign now. You know, he's going to be someone who, who could be, you know, um, a comparable as well in terms of like what the, the next contract negotiations. Well, that's the whole thing. Right. And I love Pedersen and that for that matter, I love Nick Suzuki. So I, I was a bit confused that they decided to bridge Pedersen. But I mean, you see that with a lot of young centers nowadays, like they did it with yeah. Barzell in Long Island. They did it with uh, Braden Point down in Tampa. So it's hard to really commit, you know, nine, 10 plus million dollars to a center who's not even 23 yet. So yeah. I understand it for me. I'm just maybe it's just me. I've never been really enamored with Quinn Hughes. Like if you ask me, you could have Quinn Hughes or Charlie McAvoy. I take Charlie McAvoy. I don't think about it twice. If you could take Quinn Hughes or Miro Heiskanen, I take Miro Heiskanen without even thinking about it. I just my the way I think about it is that your number one defenseman has to be able to play the penalty kill very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. That's the way I think about it. I know that the way defensemen are viewed has changed over the last few years, but maybe I'm just an old school guy. I'm a dinosaur in that regard, but <laughs> I've just never been as big of a fan as Quinn Hughes as most people have. So that's why I'm kind of skeptical with his contract. I think, I think we're just kind of picking one-on-one because if you're, if you're doing comparables directly, you know, uh, Quinn Hughes versus X player, Quinn Hughes versus Y player. Of course, in a lot of cases, you look at the intangibles defensively, and most defense the defensemen are better than Hughes. However, if you look at the ensemble, uh, how many Quinn Hughes are there in the NHL? And for that, you're right, 100%. Yeah, there's just that there's only a handful, and anybody in the league will, 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 will take him as long as there's someone to protect him. And last year's playoffs you know, saw us a Montreal team doing exactly that. A guy like Ben Sherratt being protected by Shea Weber. A guy like Joel Edmondson being protected by a guy like Jeff Petrie. But if you were to take, pick them up individually, you'd be like, well, they don't belong there. But because they're being paired properly and in a proper system, there you go. So you never know what's going to happen. And that's just it. And I guess maybe it's just because I'm just not a fan of how that defensive in Vancouver is built as a whole. But I mean, it's not horrible, like... I would assume you have Hughes play with Myers and then you have Ekman Larson play with Poolman. But I mean, I just don't know if Myers is that stability. Uh, there's guy. no, there's no, uh, there's nothing exciting about the Vancouver the defense and actually the team as a whole for that matter, because Jim Benning is still trying to, you know, mop up the mess that's <laughs> been left before him. And even though he's put himself in a, in a mess as well with some of the very questionable contracts throughout the years. But you know what, in this case, I think we'll give him a passing grade for these signatures. A hundred percent. And like you said, you have to get these contracts done. Absolutely. What they mean to the organization. And Quinn Hughes is a unicorn. So they it's good on him for getting them done. It's just that there's significant risk with both of them that we'll see how it works out down the line.
Absolutely. Anthony, once again, thank you so much for your time. You're a very generous man, sir. I really appreciate these segments and I'll see you next week. Yeah, man. It's going to start costing you something in the near future, but uh, we'll leave that on the back burner until we'll next start. Week. We'll start with the beer. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Take care. You too. A big thank you to uh, our friend and partner, Mr. Anthony DeMarco, for this cool segment of Around the NHL. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, who knows what's going to happen with this Robin Leonard situation? I mean, it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy. It's pretty out there, and there's already already a lot of allegations that have happened after the recording of that segment. And um, what can be said about Vancouver, right, guys? I mean, like we were talking about in this segment about. Um, Elias Peter, uh, Pedersen and Quinn Hughes signing those massive contracts. I mean, it is the way of the world right now, right? But right now, we are not going to be talking about high-priced uh, players. We're going to be talking about the neglects, uh, the neglected, the cast-offs, you know, the unwanted, so to speak. And, of course, at every training camp, there's always a bunch of players that, you know, hit the waivers for whatever reason. And you're like, oh, I remember him. Or, oh, he's on the waivers? Oh, oh, this is interesting. And <laughs> looking at the list of the current uh, players on waivers was for the past couple of days, and it was really interesting. And some notes, notable players, excuse me, were Kale Fleury leading the pack, who, you know, was drafted by Seattle over a certain number 31. Charles Ludon, Noah Juleson, Gabriel Dumont, Brian Flynn, Scott Cowan's personal favorite, Matthew Pekka, Gustav Olofsson, and of course, Keith Kincaid, also part of this list. And what's really funny, Scott, I want to start with you because this is always funny. Every time a former Hab goes on waivers, you always have a bunch of social media posts going, get him back. He was amazing. He was the best. I mean, let's be honest. No, nobody here is worth it, right? The big thing that's just been annoying me about that is especially with Kill Flurry, there's been a huge market of Habs fans on Twitter who have just been posting things saying, reclaim Kill Flurry. Like, I want this guy back. This guy was the team. This guy was everything. And I always say to myself, I liked Kill Flurry. I thought he was a solid player here. This guy was, this guy's not a player that is worth reclaiming in any sense by any team in the NHL, not even the Buffalo Sabres, in my own opinion. And while Kill Flurry is a talented AHL defenseman, he had one goal in 41 games in his first season in Montreal. And while it was a rookie season, I think that just speaks for itself. And I definitely think he'll be a guy who will serve Seattle's AHL team a lot more a lot more than if he could serve their NHL team. I think his brother is a much better bet to see a, a consistent role in Seattle this season. And to throw it uh, back to another player that I have seen some things talked about before is Keith Kincaid. I just want to bring up Keith Kincaid really quick because his he had obviously had that very bizarre stint last season where he somehow managed to make the NHL again and play the backup role for the New York Rangers. So who knows? Maybe this season we'll see his typical fantastic tweets that uh, recap the games once more. Speaking of tweets, um, I'm going to do a little self-promotion here. When the, the Buffalo Sabres earlier this afternoon announced that they claim forward Axel Janssen, oh, good Lord, uh, Fjallby off of waivers. 
So excuse me for my uh, pronunciation, uh, Swedish fans. Uh, I made a tweet where I was re uh, referring to uh, the movie Moneyball, where there's a beautiful scene where uh, general manager Billy Bean is, uh, is promoting the fact that they want to sign Scott Hatterberg to play first base. The scout goes, who? I wrote, Kevin Adams says, exactly. He sounds like a Buffalo Sabre already. So it just just goes to show that you know in some cases you're looking at someone you're like who you're like all right yeah sure whatever but um, Sebastian I mean let's be let's be honest here I mean do you see any of these guys actually making it back to the NHL actually making an impact and of course the big the big surprise here is Kill Flurry because you know it's a little strange that a team will pick someone in the expansion draft without making a side deal by the way. And next thing you know, well, then he's just exposed to everyone else. And he's so bad that they're confident that they're not, no one's going to claim him. I mean, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, Seattle's draft was interesting. Like, I, I feel like you have, like, two real viable strategies when you're doing an expansion draft. And it's either you draft to be really good, like Vegas did, or you draft to just get young players and be good down the line and just cash in on high draft picks, especially now with like Shane Wright and uh, Connor Bedard coming up. But it really feels like Seattle was drafted to meet, to be mediocre, which is kind of the most painful way to do it. But as far as Kale Flurry goes, I think I'm going to disagree with, with Scott on this. I think that Kale Flurry is was a really solid player. I, I always liked him a lot in Laval and, this is a guy that I think is going to be a really solid, solid like number five, six defenseman down the line. Just he's big, he can play, he can make big hits, and he's fun to watch in that way. Like we all remember the big hit on Milan Lucic that that he had that uh, won his way into the hearts of all Habs fans, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think he'd make many NHL teams. I do think he'd make the Buffalo Sabers right now. But so I, I didn't quite understand why he didn't get claimed in that regard. And a similar thing goes for Noah Juleson, who, again, I, I don't think that the Habs should have picked him off of waivers just because I don't think he's a more viable option than Brett Kulak or Chris Weidman uh, or even Sami Niku when, once he gets healthy again. But uh, if we like, expand our horizons a little bit to the waiver wires that weren't necessarily former Habs, the one that shocked me that... Uh, not only being submitted on, onto waivers, but passing through them was Kale Clegg of the Los Angeles Kings. This is a 23-year-old six-foot defenseman who had uh, six assists in 18 games last season. Just a really solid playmaker, a very strong skater. These are good qualities in a defenseman. And especially if you're a weaker team trying to build up like the Arizona Coyotes uh, or I don't know, like the, the Sabres or even like the Ottawa Senators, like any of these like rebuilding teams, I think just taking a flyer on a 23-year-old playmaking defenseman is pretty fun. But again, most of like of the training cap rosters have established themselves. So I don't think many teams really wanted to add a player. And Montreal only added Montembeau because Price is injured, right? Like if Price were healthy, they never would have claimed him. I guess you could also add, uh, we're talking about this off air, we could add, add, also add Phoenix Copley as well from Washington as a surprise waiver. I mean, he's 29 and he's he hasn't played that many games in the NHL, though he, I mean, 
he still he had like a a season with over a 900 save percentage right so like he's he's had flashes but the capitals clearly aren't weren't that confident in him when they lost uh Vitek Vanacek to Seattle and then traded to get him back so I mean sure I mean he was going to get waived at some point and I'm sure he's been waived quite often in the past considering he's played uh, many games um in the AHL but yeah I mean there are always decent players that pass through waivers you would expect more from the man hailing from the north pole uh scott you wanted to go back a little bit about the the ex-habs uh because we wanted to go uh, to josh but now he's choking on his water in the corner there probably because of that massive ice cream he was eating (laughs) earlier (laughs) you wanted to bring up um a couple of uh, players as well uh, as well as you know charles udon being one of them uh, there's a uh, few guys who, in particular, from for former Habs, who stood out to me just because I've talked about this before with guys like Joseph Blendisi and Jean Sebastien D. We're just gonna leave that there, but I mean, these are kind of uh, the kind of players that basically, no matter how long they're gone from the NHL, they always find their way back to the NHL in some way or another. And the three guys that I'm talking about are Charles Dudon, Gabriel Dumont, and Brian Flynn. Now, Canadian fans of a certain age or from a certain time or following the team for different seasons will remember all these players for different reasons. Gabriel Dumont was a prospect that has had for a couple of seasons who then went on to do other things once he never was able to quite figure out his game here in Montreal. Brian Flynn played on the Cavs' fourth line for two seasons and was a really solid speed option. And Charles Sudon was the player who for one season Habs fans thought would be the next uh, big scoring star for the team and then by the next season wanted nothing, wanted nothing to do with him. Now, all three of these guys have been on their own set completely separate paths, but they still find themselves back at the same place on the waiver wire. Gabriel Dumas and Charles Hedon are both on waivers of Tampa, and Brian Flynn is on waivers with the New Jersey Devils. Now, while I, now, while I think all of these guys will continue to be really, really solid AHL players this season, with Trudeau, I think, having the chance to actually win the AHL scoring title, and know it's a bit of a bold clue myself, I can just as easily see them coming back to the NHL because they have the NHL skills, and they've proven it before, and, and being able to play full NHL or even part-time NHL seasons, so... Mr. Rosa, you okay, man? I'm alive. You're alive. You're good. I didn't, I didn't choke <laughs> on my water fully. How about you chime in, my friend? How about like you, you've seen the list of waiver wires? I, I like. I like to know your opinion. Your opinion about these former Habs on actually many former Habs on, on this list. And what, and what was your impression when you saw this particular list that was presented to us actually just a few minutes ago? Yeah, I was, uh, for one, surprised about Brian Flynn. I forgot that he was still in the league. Not to say anything about him. He's just, I remember his time fondly in Montreal and thought, and he just kind of disappeared after that. He had his time here and he, that's it. And the names on here aren't particularly surprising to me. I just get sad every time I think about Noel Jolson, about how well he was projecting, how he was he was on track to becoming an NHL player that year that he took two pucks to the head in the same game, and that pretty much derailed Some his career. Bad luck ever, man. It's awful. Yeah. And you could always hope that he, he like he has the skills that are still there to become an NHL player. You just hope that he can do it physically. He was losing vision in one eye at one point, I remember. But he's come back. He's playing, which is a great sign. And I just 
it's just so sad thinking about it. I hope for as much as I can hope that he can make it in the NHL somewhere. Hopefully, you never know. But I mean, also, uh, the one guy I always gets sad when I see him on waivers or not being able to crack the NHL, which in a way might be a little bit of his own fault at this point because it's not for a lack of skill as Charles Ludon. I've always had a soft spot for the kid. He has such great hands, has good speed. But even after seeing a couple of AHL games live and everything, you, you just saw that, you know what? This is a kid who just, he's a little bit selfish, I guess, on the ice. Um, you know, just wants to be the star of the game. But, you know, obviously that doesn't always translate way, well into the NHL. So, Well, what it does translate well into is overseas. In my opinion, I think that's exactly where Houdon should have stayed. Just made good money over in Switzerland. But Yeah, I don't know if it's just a money thing or it's just a family thing. Uh who knows but yeah like overseas i'm pretty sure he would have been absolutely incredible but it is what it is and on that note we're going to end this segment with a little bit of fun i mean the doug armstrong general manager of the st louis blues and as well of team canada for the upcoming olympics has announced really randomly and i know uh, sebastian has uh was always was baffled by this list because he announced that Sidney Crosby will be making the team and Connor McDavid will be making the team and Alex Petrangelo will be making the team. I mean, there's no surprise that Petrangelo is going to make it, but it's just a we- really weird um, name to just formally announce in advance. But you know what? It is what it is, but that's not the point of the segment. This little segment to, to uh, tie all things up we're going to do some bold predictions. We're going to look at the Montreal Canadiens roster, and we are going to predict if there are any players not named Carey Price that have Alex a chance. <laughs> oh, come no. on. You're killing no. the suspense. <laughs> if there are any Montreal Canadiens player not named Carey Price that have a chance of cracking the Olympic roster in any country. And I'm going to, you know what, Scott, you want to interrupt so badly, you're going to start. <laughs> you know what, I'll throw caution to the wind and I'll just go on. Alex, you man! <laughs> oh, and I'll, like, all, all kidding aside, like, going back to that really segment, that small segment we did a long time ago where we talked about Grill for whatever reason, my pick for the guy who I think is most likely a lock to make a, can he make a one of the national teams of the Canadians is Yolarmia. I think Joel Armia is a really, really good fit for Team Finland, and he's a guy who I really, really hope will break out in Montreal this season after time and time again proving that he has the potential to be a very, very, very talented player. But time and time again, he ever falls victim to his own shortcomings or just a lack of consistency or whatever you want to call it. I think that this season will be a really good chance for him to shine and even go, and it'll be an even better opportunity when he gets a chance to go to the Olympics and play for Team Finland. And again, Team Finland is still a very, very talented and very, very stacked team when you think about all the guys that they have and all the players that they have at their disposal. So I think it'll definitely be very interesting to see how Armia will come to fair in both the national and NHL level. Sebastian, your turn and you're not allowed to name Rafael Harvey Pinar. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> my, my pick is going to be Alex Romanoff. I think, I think he is, is bold. That is very bold. I, yeah. You see, it would be if Russia had it good defensemen, which they just kind of don't. Um, so just like the actual big names in terms of Russian defensemen in the league are like Ivan Provorov, Mikhail Sergachev, Dmitry Orlov. And then it really starts getting rougher in terms of like Nikita Zadorov, Artem Zub, 
Nikita Nesterov, like it, it gets it gets pretty dicey pretty quickly. And I think having a very young and very dynamic defenseman in Romanov would be a really important thing for Team Russia to have because the only other really dynamic defensemen that they have are Provorov and Sergachev. And apart from that, it's very much like, I mean, like I like Dmitry Orlov, I like Artem Zub, but they're not going to blow you away offensively. They're very defensive-oriented players. And I think having Romanov as a really young and creative spark for that that decor would be uh, pretty important for them. And I, I really do like his chances. I think I, I, I would actually bet a little bit of money that he makes the roster. So. Oh, bold statement, ladies and gentlemen. So if ever you want to bet, uh, please call 1-800-SEBASTIAN and can place your bets right now. <laughs> I mean, I can legally bet, so it's okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> All aboard the Sebastian train. Josh, your take, man. I found a weird one. Uh, I'm trying to find some uh, interesting countries that could play that Montreal has players for. Um, he's not on the Montreal roster. He's actually on the Laval roster right now. He has played some games in Montreal. He has played some games in Detroit. And he has born in Bayonne, France. So he could make the French team. Xavier okay. Oulette. Maybe. I'm showing my North American bias by not knowing any of the names on the French national team on defense. They all play. The, on, the in... only French national player I know is Alex Texier, and he's a forward. So and Pierre, Pierre honestly, Belmar. And Belmar. There you go. We've got, we've got two players. So I do think if he does want to play for France, sure. Is France going to the Olympics? I found a current roster for the world championships. I have no idea if they're going to be in the Olympics or not. But they also have some old defenders, 34 years old. He's Oulette's only 28, and he has NHL experience. I mean, if they're going to the Olympics. Oh, no, if they're going to the Olympics, he's definitely making the team if he wants to. It's just I don't ever see France popping up in anything hockey-related. So well, if, we can see, if we're going to see if we're going to see China popping up in this Olympics, anything's possible. True, true. This is with Alex Golovkin cool. as our coach. With everyone's favorite player, Brandon Yip. Oh, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> My pick. Um, well, I, I, you know what? I was going to make a, like something a little bolder and everything, but. I, I I I hesitate on picking him, so I'm going to go with my second pick instead. I was looking at the American squad, and at first I was going to say, unless he has a giant uh, season, uh, Cole Caulfield might have a chance. But uh, okay, let's 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 Simadana Simadana. We um, yeah, we were kind of nodding against that as well, like all of us over here at the panel. My pick would be Jeff Petrie. Uh, that I think I would actually have a chance of cracking the roster. Maybe not necessarily on the bottom two, but maybe more as a spare, but at least being chosen on the American team uh, for the only reason that outside of, you know, John Carlson, Charlie McAvoy, Quinn Hughes, you know, the options are getting a little, a little more limited, um, especially because, you know, you have guys like Ryan Suter who is 
you know, like he's not the player that he used that they used to be. He'll probably won't make it this time. Same thing can go with Bisa for Keith Yandel, Alex Goligoski. Maybe Kevin Shattenkirk will come back. I mean, Tory no. Krug. I mean, I don't know. Tory Krug is still, you know, a name out there as well. Ryan McDonough, you know, so Adam like Fox. you know, Adam Fox. Adam Fox is course. making it. Yeah, Adam Fox. Zach Warensky. Maybe. Seth I Jones. I mean, I don't I don't like him as a player, but he's making the team. Like uh, you know, exactly. He's so definitely thought, making the team. I mean, but but at the same time, it's like if Jeff Peach can have the same kind of season that he had last year, especially in the first half, you know, he definitely would have a chance to at least, you know, make the reserve squad, you know, for the, for, for that matter. But on that note, you know, rem- remember the intro guys I was saying any player not named Carey Price. I mean, I, 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 he's pretty much a shoe in, right? I mean, is Price going to be the starter after the playoffs? After the playoffs, he's he's gonna be on the team. Exactly. It's more of a question. Because thing is, if if Flurry continues playing as he is, he won the Vezina last season. Yeah. Right. Like you can have an, a really old tandem there and like not see Bennington or Carter Hart. Right. Like especially after Carter Hart, Hart's last season. Yeah. He, exactly. He had a lot of ground to make up there. So. Which is which is funny because we're so used for the last you know two decades or so that that the goaltenders was always. You know, Roy Brodeur Luongo, like who came in eventually, you know. Um, and, and then Luongo ended up taking over. And now you got Carey Price who, sque- who squeaked it. It's always been Carey Price. I think Carey Price will probably start unless he gets re-injured and everything, and it's going to be his last shot. And he, obviously he's going give to it, give it his all and everything. But a healthy Carey Price, a motivated Carey Price, you know. A Carey Price in a tournament situation. Oh, Good lord! Didn't the last time? Didn't the last time that he he went to the Olympics was also the year that he won the Hart Trophy? Well, he went to the Olympics in 2014. I think he won them in 2015. I think it was yeah, a year I prior. So. I think prior, right? I think 2014 so. was Sochi. That's when it was Sochi. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, anyways, we know that he can perform. Right? He doesn't. Anyways, with Team Canada, or did he win in 2016? Like, did oh. he win everything in 15 or 16? I think it was 15. Uh, regardless, this is this is one of those impromptu questions that we didn't have a chance to actually do proper research and sound professional. But this is uh, but let's be honest, guys. Team Canada can have a team A and a team B and still probably face each other in the finals. So that's how 2015. 2015. Good job, uh, Sebastian. Everyone's favorite uh, Olympics, 2006. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was too young. Are you going to bring back the 98 Olympics as well, Scott? Yeah, or are we just throwing the 84 Olympics? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. no. 90, 98 <laughs> we don't talk about because we have the wrong captain. We send the wrong guy in the shootout. It's, it's, uh, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to our show. <laughs> Another great episode, guys. This was a lot of fun. I love this laid back segment that we always end on. Lots of fun. Scott Cowan, Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa, a huge thank you to you guys. Also, of course, thank you for to Anthony DeMarco for his segment around the NHL. Always a shout out to Mr. Shane Ivers for providing this wonderful music as well. And tune in next week for another outstanding show of Puck and Roll. And of course, visit us, puckandroll.com. We have a whole bunch of goodies. You can leave us a message, give us a voicemail as well. You can even, if you, you know what? If you guys want to be a guest on our show, you can actually fill a little form. You guys want to come talk hockey with us? Check out our website, fill out the form, and we will feature you on an upcoming show. This is Patrick Lorty signing out. See you next week.
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.